1: Game 3 of the NBA Finals about to get underway in Cleveland. Golden State taking on the Cavaliers. Golden State up two games to nothing. Blue Jays and Yankees still scoreless now in the middle of the 8th inning. Will the NHL season end tomorrow? We'll have Game 5 of the Stanley Cup Final right here on 630 Ched. Starting at 6, the Capitals taking a 3-1 series lead into Vegas. One week from tomorrow, that's Thursday, June 14th, the Eskimos season opener on 630 Ched. They're going to visit Winnipeg. Our coverage will start at 5 and two weeks from Friday on June 22nd. We'll have an interesting night. We'll have round one of the NHL draft and then we will take you into the Eskimos home opener as they take on the Hamilton Tiger Cats. The Oilers slated to pick 10th overall. My name is Reed Wilkins, Inside Sports on 630 Chet. Of course, in 2015, the Oilers took Connor McDavid first overall. On May 24th, a uh, 2015 Connor McDavid trading card sold for over $55,000. Thanks to, to the participation of Pwcc Marketplace and their CEO Brent Higgins, who joins us on the line now. Brent, my name is Reed. Thank you for making time for me. How are you doing? Doing
2: uh, is mutual. Thanks for making time.
1: Well, you know what? I, I want to talk to you about this McDavid card and, and maybe some of the story and the trading card industry, Brent, because probably uh, every fan, regardless of the sport, at some point had a, had a pack of trading cards or still is getting them. But your story is an interesting one, too. And it, you know, Brent, at Christmas time, I, I had a guy on the show who lives in Chicago, and he reviews video games for a living. That's his job. So, the question was, you know, how do you get a job reviewing video games? So, I think my question for you is, how, how do you get a job in the trading card industry? That's a hobby for a lot of people, but you made it your profession.
2: Yeah, that's a fair question. Yeah, I, I you know, I, I, like any kid, grew up with cards, I suppose. Uh, you could say my education started when I was, you know, five years old, but um, I, I was an engineer by trade. I, I recently, in the last, you know, five years or so, have committed myself more full-time to running this auction house uh, that we run now but uh, I do feel fortunate I definitely you know work in a realm that is that is a lot of fun and uh you know I, I I'm, I'm a lucky guy
1: so what prompted you to what was the real impetus to to change professions to say like no I'm gonna get out of engineering which most people listening probably think hey that's a pretty safe field and maybe take a bit <laughs> of a chance yeah let <laughs>
2: Let's take this thing that you studied in college for ten years, and let's abandon that to go sell pieces of cardboard to people who don't need them. Yeah, I, I, uh, I, uh, you know, I think like I, I had a boss I didn't, uh, I didn't agree with. <laughs> I think that's probably what it boils down to. it was time to, it was time to make a change. At the time, I, I'd, I'd always had PWCC Marketplace, my my company, on the side. Okay, so like it, it goes back to like the early 2000s. And I just, you know, it was time to see if I could run a company the way I wanted to run it, and I think that was the motivation ultimately. And, uh, you know, about 2012 time frame, I I started doing this full time. And back then, we had one employee, and now we have 25, and we're the largest auction house in the world for for trading cards. Um, and so it's it's a uh, it, it's amazing how much things have changed. And you know, I can I can be proud of our. Growth, but also the the marketplace as a whole has really gone through a lot of changes recently. And the sale that you know that you mentioned earlier is just a one data point in a much larger story, which is that trading cards are becoming a very viable alternative asset class. And you know if you're comparing it to fine art or coins or the other things people you know diversify their portfolios with, be it fine wine or jewels or muscle cars or what have you. Uh, in that realm, trading cards are really proving to be a, a very viable option for people because they're very liquid and there's a lot of access to data, so they trade like stocks now more than they ever have. And so I think that really appeals to people because now you can be in something that makes sense, but it's also a heck of a lot of fun, uh, more so than a stock ever could be anyhow.
1: So when when this McDavid rookie card went up for auction and, and the final winning bid, I got your press release here, $55,655, uh, surpassing the value of any other modern hockey card sold to date. When you went into this, did you think, okay, I think it's going to fetch this, I think this will. This is what's going to happen? Did this exceed your expectations? I'm, I'm wondering your experience kind of viewing the auction. Yeah.
2: Well, I mean, to be fair, I mean, the marketplace is, is not as chaotic as someone might think until they've looked at it. I mean, we, we knew this card was going to set a record. I think that uh, initially our pre-auction estimates were maybe, you know, thirty-five dollars or $40,000. Uh, this is the U.S. Um, you know, so when it sold for fifty-five, that exceeded our expectations, but not to a point that was, you know, overly noteworthy. This, this particular card is just very rare and very important. You know, and coming from where you come from, I don't need to spend a lot of time belaboring the excitement around Connor McDavid. But what I can explain is that this this card is his preeminent, most preferred card. And it was assessed by a third-party grader, because these trading cards now, they have to be authenticated by somebody reputable, and the company that authenticated it gave it a 10 out of 10 on their quality scale. So it wasn't just a rare, important card to begin with, but now it's, it's one of only two, as it turns out, in the world that have ever been assessed at this level and so it's just a really important investment piece and but because it's so rare its value is what the market will bear you know i mean we had 80 bids uh different people from all over the world participating and uh you know it ended up going to a guy that that lives down in uh california who's a you know an avid investor in this space and uh you know, the person who didn't win it, the, the underbidder, if you call it that, was, was heartbroken. And I had several calls afterwards of people saying, hey, is it still available? And, uh, you know, so on and so forth. So, I mean, there's just a lot of energy around this now. And I think we're, we're all excited to see how these things continue to mature
1: that's amazing Brent Higgins joining us in inside Sports he's the CEO of PwCC marketplace he he gave you the Cole's notes of uh, uh, how he how he got into it and and, and a kind of abandoned a career he put a lot of time and effort into but this is this is going well for you so maybe this is a stupid question but I just kind of want to frame it D- does PwCC marketplace own any cards yourself or is it just facilitating this the sales of these cards?
2: Yeah, definitely the latter, and it, okay. that's a great question because, you know, we, we, we want to be honest advisors uh, and honest brokers and, and honest, you know, with the word meaning, like, we're, we're impartial. And at the end of the day, we're just a service provider trying to connect uh, consumers with the marketplace. And so, no, we don't own anything. We're not dealers. Um, we make a very small percentage on every sale because, like, any good brokerage house, it's all about volume. And so we're, we're able to just, you know, stay on the sidelines eating the game, but we don't have to play in the game ourselves, and that, that's been an important distinguishing characteristic that's a little bit different than you know most companies that exist in the trading card world, is that we are not dealers, and we don't desire to ever be dealers.
1: Right. Brent, uh, I'm going to spend a few more minutes with you, and I'm, then I'm going to bug you to come on the show again later this summer, because a lot of... I had questions written down, and no more popping into my head <laughs> as we're talking. Are, uh, of course. Where, where do hockey cards rank sort of in their popularity with collectors and investors. I mean I, I mean when I think of trading cards, I tend to think of hockey and baseball before I think of basketball and football. Now maybe that's just because I've always lived in northern, northern Alberta or, or what are the markets like for the different sports?
2: Yeah I mean I think uh, it's a fascinating like uh, I guess description of yourself. Uh, because it is all lo- locale-based. I mean, I, I can say from where I sit, which is pretty even-steven in the sense that I have to see all these different markets, um, you know, I would say hockey is a, it is a, is a very popular major sport, uh, more so than, you know, a lot of other subcategories. But in terms of volume, there aren't as many hockey cards out there. I think that, you know, hockey has been dominated by Canada and pieces of the United States as a sport internationally – Um, it it just does there's not as many hockey cards out there and so it is kind of a rare sport uh, from a from a trading card perspective so volume-wise it's probably fourth in line after baseball basketball you know football and then then hockey but uh, i would say that they're all they're all kind of bunched together there but i mean we as for our company we sell uh all trading cards so you know we sell pokemon cards and we sell batman cards and uh, other types of non-sport type uh, venues as well, and those are very large markets in their own right. Um, so, I mean, trading cards as a whole are—they're are, they're bigger than just sports
1: cards. Right.
2: Um, my my parents—it took them about a decade before they stopped saying that my son sells baseball cards for a living, <laughs> <laughs> which always always upset me because I was like, gosh, you know, if anyone could understand what I do, it'd be my parents, and you know, the the, the public perception. Is uh, it, you know it's very much rooted in simplifying what it is, but what's happened in truth is we have we have a marketplace which is just becoming very rich, very international, um, and 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 very predictable as well. There's a lot of infrastructure now.
1: Okay, well this this is fascinating stuff. Um, I mean in term in terms of hockey, what what names beside McDavid would net? you know, b- bigger dollars if a card's in good shape? Or like, Are we talking about the Crosbys and the yeah. Canes, or names we'd expect, or who or would it be?
2: Yeah, I mean, you hit, you, know, you got Ovechkin, Crosby, Kane, Matthews, you know, uh, McDavid, of course. I mean, I think, um, you know, at the end of the day, it's important to note that just because it's a Connor McDavid rookie card doesn't mean it's expensive. You know, this card that we sold, is a very special card within maybe there might be a hundred different connor mcdavid rookie cards out there made by different manufacturers of different value um and you know what makes trading cards so exciting and so powerful is that they really feed the masses so whoever bought this fifty-five thousand dollar connor mcdavid rookie card there are there is another connor mcdavid rookie card out there also graded a 10 out of 10 that somebody could buy for a few hundred dollars a very different production. Mm-hmm. And what's so amazing is those two guys standing at the water cooler can have a conversation about how they both own, you know, McDavid rookie card PSA 10. Right. And <laughs> that sort of connection is just, it's unique. There's no other alternative asset class that unites people like that. And sports is just, it's powerful in that regard. It's, 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 I, I think this is why people have so much fun with it.
1: All right. So, so I got to ask you then, because I, I know for some of our, our listeners, uh, you know, whose uh, age maybe starts with a four, five, or six, or, you know, they might be thinking, hey, I got a 1981 uh, Jim Fox card from the LA Kings. I wonder what I could get for that. I mean, sometimes you have to tell people, like, right. well, settle down, not everything. Or maybe there's some now are some eras of the game that the cards might be uh, going up in value a little bit. Sure. So, one of the
2: things that, one of the things that a particular interest to me is, like, you look at football cards and basketball cards. I mean, there's very little produced before 1950 for either of those sports. Hockey has cards going back to 1908, 1910. Uh, you know, we've got over 100 years of hockey cards. And, and the only other sport that has anything close to that is baseball. And so, I mean, as a bystander, because I, you know, I didn't grow up with hockey the way I grew up with baseball. It feels like, you know, that is the the, the national pastime for Canada, and they have supported productions of hockey cards for a long time. And so, the the, the vintage, what we call the vintage hockey world, is very strong. And you know, the the Gordy the the Bobby Holes, the the the, the Bobby Oars, um, you know, these these. these Jeez. So it sheds light on just how important modern cards are becoming in the marketplace, and that is a bit new.
1: This is amazing. We we are going to have to talk again. Uh, let, let's let's try to do something else later this summer because I'm getting I'm getting texts uh, I'm getting texts coming in uh, that you know I'd like to let some listeners uh, maybe throw you some questions next time as well. If people want to learn more about PWCC Marketplace Online, where can they go?
2: Uh, you just said it. .com. So PWCC okay. Marketplace. Dot com just Google PWCC you'll find us but I would, I'm always there I'm, I'm here just to provide an education and support investors so uh, would love to be back on the show whenever you feel it's appropriate
1: all right and I'm I am gonna read you one text from Jerry because I think it'll make me make you laugh as as we sign off he says hi Reed can you ask your guest this I have an unopened pack of baseball cards from 1985 do you think the gum is still safe to chew <laughs> <laughs>
2: So, from personal experience, this is what will happen: you will put that in your mouth; it'll disintegrate into powder, a lot like a uh, like sawdust. Right? But if you stick with it and you're really committed, eventually you'll have something you can chew again.
1: That's awesome. It
2: might be toxic.
1: Yeah, it just, it might be toxic, but that's what will physically happen. Brent, this was awesome, man. Thanks for the details on this McDavid card and giving us a bit of your story as well. Take care, man. Thank you very much. That is Brent Higgins checking in. He is the CEO of PWCC Marketplace. He explained how they work in that sale a couple of weeks ago. The Connor McDavid uh, rookie card, uh, rookie auto patch card. It was given a PSA 10 gem mint rating. That's really good. Winning bid, $55,655. Inside Sports on Chad coming back.
0: are listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Edmonton Sports Leader, 630
1: Chat. Well, that was an interesting one. Man, can you imagine selling a hockey card for $55,000? Can you imagine paying $55,000 for a hockey card? It better have a stick of gum with it, eh, Kellen Kennedy? If you're paying 55 grand,
0: at man, least. I'd want the whole gum factory at that rate.
1: <laughs> Some guests on Inside Sports get gift certificates to Northern Chicken, bringing down-south comfort food to Edmonton with Southern Classics and other tasty treats. Salivate over the menu at NorthChickenYEG.com. I know I used to buy random packs of hockey cards as a kid. We're talking early and mid-'80s, and they are all in a binder in sleeves somewhere. And then I want to say early 90s. My dad and I decided we would buy one of those whole card sets. So you would just get the whole box of cards. So you would have everything for that year. I want to say it was 91 or 92 or 92 or 93. Uh, I I don't know where those cards are. I assume they're either in my parents' basement. I should probably find them. I could be sitting on a gold mine. Well, maybe a a paper mine. Not sure if it would be a gold mine. Rob says, "Reed, can you let Rob Brown know his upper deck jersey card is worth a loony?" (laughs) That's great. Uh, Jeremy from Glendon, one of my favorite texters, lives in the, uh, you know he's got an apartment in the giant pierogi, eh, Kellan? Oh, he does? Yeah, he's got an apartment
0: in the pierogi. Wow, I wonder what that thing would retail for.
1: He says, one time in grade two, a girl in my class had a Tommy Salo card I was dying to get. So I offered her a Wayne Gretzky cardboard card from the post cereal boxes and told her it was super valuable when it was worth maybe two cents. Sorry, Nicole, if you're listening, for doing what I needed to do to get my favorite goalie card. Jeremy from Glendon, bearing his soul, revealing his guilt here on Inside Sports. That's why we're here, Kellen. Jeremy, that's actually a great story. I I don't uh, I don't uh, doubt your I don't criticize your tactics at all. I think you had to do it. If Nicole doesn't
0: know the value, that's on Nicole, not on you. Makes me wonder how much my John Tanner Quebec Nordiques rookie card is from the 89-90 <laughs> Pro Set. 18-10 Cleveland leading Golden State. Four and a half minutes left in the first quarter.
1: We'll catch up with Ron Miner, outstanding wheelchair athlete going into the Edmonton Sports Hall of Fame.
0: You're listening to 6.30 Ched Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins.
1: All right, good to have you along for the ride tonight. The Blue Jays and the Yankees are scoreless now in the 10th inning. Two and a half minutes left in the first quarter. Cleveland leads Golden State 22-14, Game 3 of the NBA Finals. Golden State up two games to nothing. And tomorrow, right here on 6.30 Chad in this time slot, starting after the 6 o'clock news, we'll have live play-by-play game five vegas home to washington the capitals trying to win the stanley cup for the first time in franchise history my name is reed wilkins on uh, monday we'll have the uh, big uh, hall of fame inductions for the edmonton sports hall of fame ron minor one of the people going into the hall hey ron you're on with reed how are you doing
3: great great reed, how are you doing
1: I'm doing very well it's it's great to talk to you for the first time uh, we've never done an interview before so uh, I know some people will know your story not everybody will uh, I, I don't know the whole thing so uh, I may go back quite a ways Ron so I hope you I hope you're ready for memory lane here <laughs> okay you know what ron uh you're going in uh for for your work with uh, obviously wheelchair athletics and, and we'll get into some of that but uh you know i i, I got to start back maybe with how that story begins uh for you what led to you uh needing to use a wheelchair
3: well when i was two i contracted uh, something called polio and and so i i i became disabled right at the age of two and uh and uh, through my whole whole uh, life, I was kind of a, a sports-minded guy. I, I always wanted to do things, so I, I was kind of sitting on the outside watching a lot of sports and, and then pretending to play a lot. And uh, and as I, as I got older, I started doing weightlifting, and I got into swimming and those type of things. And, and a lot of people don't know this, but when I first started in wheelchair sports i came in as a swimmer
1: really okay I, I didn't know that so when you were when you were that age um you know was there somebody i don't know if it was a parent or a sibling or a friend that that gave you that encouragement because hey like it's, it's tough for kids and obviously you had something that made you you know a little different from everybody else who helped you with maybe the confidence and the inspiration to be involved
3: Part of it was I came from a large family. Uh, my mom and dad they were they were uh, supportive, but they they were of the mindset saying that I couldn't be t- uh, treated any different than any uh, other kids because I was one of nine kids. And so they really went out of their way to to make me do things for myself. You know, for instance. Uh, I wanted to ride a horse and they really didn't want me to ride a horse and so they said well in order for you to ride you you're gonna have to purchase the horse on your own you're gonna have to and if you do purchase it then you're gonna have to learn how to feed it nobody's gonna give you any help so what did I do I I I made some money got 75 bucks together went to an auction got a yearling horse and then I I proceeded to break it and I broke my first horse when I was thirteen on braces and crutches. That's amazing,
1: Rod. Where 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 were you living? Was this still in Edmonton or where where were you growing no, up?
3: I, I come from a small community called McGrath, Alberta.
1: Oh right, okay.
3: So that that's where I I was born and and raised is in a small town. And well, so and and later on you know, I used to uh, use that to make money. You know, my horse skills because I used to uh, 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 quiet, uh, you know, after the winter, quiet uh, horses down so kids could ride them. You know, when their when they their parents wanted them to ride and stuff, I could tra- I they would give me their horse for a little while. I would calm it down for 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 the summer and let let the kids ride and stuff. So I made my money that way
1: so an athlete and an entrepreneur from a young age that's pretty (laughs) cool ron and i I, I, as soon as you said you come from a family of nine i thought well there's a baseball team right there so
0: (laughs)
3: exactly And, and we did play we did play baseball but as i said that's where my competitive side comes from is is that there were six boys in the family
1: so they never went easy on you even though you had polio eh
3: no 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 never never ever uh There were times that, and we were, you know, we were kind of a fighting family. But if anybody ever stepped in the middle of it and tried to pick on one of your own, then you had nine people turn on you.
1: Right. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Uh, Ron Miner joining us tonight on Inside Sports. He's going into the Edmonton Sports Hall of Fame on Monday. Sorry, Ron, and uh, usually I wouldn't ask somebody their age, but just for some context here, uh, how, how old are you? I'm
3: 60 years old now.
1: Okay, so we're talking about you growing up in the 50s and 60s then primarily, right?
3: Yeah, I was born in 57 and so that would have been in the 60s and then I finished uh, I finished uh, school in the 70s and came up to Edmonton in 76.
1: Okay, so I, I think I got to ask you this, Ron, because I, I, I'm curious about the opportunities for wheelchair athletes when you were a teen, when you were in your 20s, and you obviously got this competitive fire and you want to do as much as you can. H- how do you compare the opportunity between then and now?
3: Oh, You have to realize when I first started, there was very little. Uh, we were, in a way, we kind of paved the way for today. Uh, today's athlete has got it quite easy comparatively. Uh, when, I, when I first started, you know, I had to go in and, and, and beg for a few dollars from, from uh, service clubs and stuff in order to go places. Now, everything is all kind of, if you're good enough to, to be able to uh, do stuff, you know, you, you get with uh, the Canada program and, uh, and then a lot of that stuff, there's a lot more money involved in it and it's a lot easier to get sponsorships now. You know, because because of that. But when I first come, you had to scrape, scrape and claw. You had to kind of build your own chairs. You know, uh, you had to. You know, there's a lot of stuff that you had to do. And now you just order a chair. You know, like you, because it's easy to you find somebody to give you three thousand dollars for a chair or four thousand bucks for a chair nowadays. But in my day, that wasn't there. So uh, we had to had to go and had to find your own sponsors and luckily we also had a program uh, that was here that was called PSA, Paraplegic Sports Association, and uh, they they raised money for that purpose as well to send you to nationals and those type of things.
1: Okay, so look, Ron. If if we start doing your resume, we're going to have to extend the show by by two hours. But I know exactly. you did. Yeah, you, you you competed in several Paralympics. You did swimming. You did athletics. So you did some of the sprints and distance racing. And obviously, you played uh, you played wheelchair basketball. Were and you? Give, give me your story as it relates to the Northern Lights, the the famous basketball team that was uh, out of Edmonton here.
3: Okay. Well. With the Northern Lights, I, I'm a founding member of the Alberta Northern Lights. Uh, we started, we started ours in in '76. Uh, when I first came up here, I came up in February, and and then we started to build a, build the club in in around September. And uh, we we uh, at, at first we uh, there was a gentleman on the on the team that his name was Reg McClellan, and he mortgaged his house in order to pay for our first season. Oh, jeez. Uh, <laughs> you, you know, so uh, so we played our first season. And then a, a guy by the name of Gary McPherson got involved and became the general manager of the Northern Lights. And with his guidance, the club got built up to where, where it was in the mid-'80s, where we're... We're making, or we were raising about seven hundred thousand a year, and uh, because we we ha- our men's team had, you know, we we flew everywhere to uh, had to fly everywhere in order to play. So we needed to have a big fundraising campaign, and and, and but with that also came the responsibility, and we tried to build the sport within Al- Alberta itself, and. Uh, and so, when when with the Northern Lights, we we did a lot of things like we made a highlights program, you know, which which is still running today. It it means we send chairs to schools, and uh, they they're able to participate, use those chairs for a week, and and stuff. And now we're getting back to our grassroots.
1: I mean, you, you, that's such a great answer. You just summed it up so perfectly. Well, when you meet, you know, especially younger people, uh, you know, who maybe like you had to deal with an illness, maybe had a, had an injury, and 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 you know they might need a wheelchair or, or they've suffered some sort of physical disability. Obviously, that's a that's a tough or physical injury, I should say, that maybe leads to some mobility issues. Uh, you know what what do you say to them you, is it about trying to lift their spirits is it about trying to make them feel uh, included how do you approach those conversations Ron
3: well mostly you know it's, it's tougher not not with children children seem to be able to adapt a lot easier right but it's a person who's who's uh, you know 17 18 years old who's got into a car accident or some type of accident and Broke their back and now they're they're for, they're facing the, their life in a wheelchair and and stuff. Those are the ones that are a little tougher, you know, to talk with. Uh, you kind of have to do it, let, let it uh, come out on their terms. But mostly you just try and t- uh, treat them normally, you know, as if as if they're you know it's an everyday occurrence, you know. But if they uh, if once you get friends with them, you don't hold your punches and stuff and if you can tell them you know straight out you know if they're if they're you know sobbing around or, or whatever or trying to look for somebody to do stuff for them because you know face it you, in life you have to deal with what your hand is given given you and uh, and if you don't if you don't face that, then you usually have a pretty poor, uh, quality of
1: life. Well, Ron, I can tell you've you've had and are still having a great quality of life with your attitude and your work ethic and your competitive nature. So, thanks for telling some of your story. We should do this again someday. But I, but I got to end with this one, Ron. You're going into the Edmonton Sports Hall of Fame, and I know you've been honored before. And uh, you know, I mentioned all these big events you competed in, and you've done so much great stuff. But to go into the Edmonton Hall on Monday, and you're going in with, uh, you know, with Terry Jones and Jen Kish, and, and all these other great people, what does it? What does it mean that this is happening coming up?
3: Well, you know, it, it's a real honor to be included with such greats in the past who's had such illustrious careers uh you know like terry jones you know how can you compete with a guy who who's uh, been in the in the newspaper business and and the media business forever you know and, and has done as much as he has and you know uh, there's another guy who uh who actually is in the hall and it it was my father-in-law law before my ex-father-in-law uh, and uh, his name is Lee McMillan, and he went in a few years ago. So, so I I've had him to talk to as well. So, it's it, it's a real honor going in in with all these greats.
1: I got I got to ask you this too, Ron. Did did you ever uh, work with the late Phil Allen? With who? Uh, Phil Allen, the basketball coach. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Actually, he was you know way back when we first started he was like one our our second third coach uh uh back in 1979 and and 78 where where he was our our basketball coach and we actually did re- really well with him we ended up second in canada that year uh and that was kind of the start of our rise and Phil is a great coach uh, he he, uh, I learned a lot from Phil.
1: Yeah, very passionate guy. I got to cover some of his teams when he coached out in Lloydminster at uh, at Lakeland College in the
3: ACAC. Ron, yeah, what, what he did the best was he was a people people's coach. He was an athlete's coach that he made he talked to them in such a way that they wanted to perform for him. Yeah, and that and that that was Phil.
1: Yeah, well said. Ron, again, congratulations. Thanks for uh, sharing some of your story tonight. We are going to have to do this again because I, I think you got a few more stories to tell, but really appreciate you coming on tonight. All
3: right. Thank you. That is
1: Ron Minor checking in tonight, inductee for the Edmonton Sports Hall of Fame. That ceremony will happen on Monday. Wow, that was a good one. That this, The story about buying his own horse and breaking his own horse, and he's on crutches and braces because of the effects of polio as a (laughs) 13-year-old. Wow, that was amazing stuff. Ron Miner, all the best to him. Great to have him on the show. It's 748. My name is Reed Wilkins. You can always reach out by texting 63630. Phone number 780-496-0063. Quick timeout. We're coming back.
2: This is Mike Riley from Edmonton Eskimos, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chet.
1: All right, thanks a lot for tuning in this evening appreciate your texts coming in those of you who are enjoying the show this evening I am as well Ron Miner outstanding guest the big L says Reed Ron is one interesting guy no kidding man what a life and he's still going strong as he uh, as he said uh, polio when he was 2 so uh, you know got into wheelchair athletics pushed himself and Still involved in mentoring kids, and they talked about having, you know, honest conversations with sometimes people who are injured and trying to keep their spirits up and, uh, and keep them going, letting them know they have support, but uh, that they also got to be strong on their own. Great to have Ron on the show. We had Brent Higgins on talking about the big sale of the Conor McDavid rookie card for $55,000. We had a very passionate Chris Morris on the show, the head coach of the U of A Golden Bears football team, obviously unhappy. And uh, like me, somewhat mystified by the uh, procedures for Ed Ilnicki, uh, you know, having his, uh, apparently having his eligibility affected by not being able to attend the uh, awards, not just ceremony, but a pre-interview with voters for the BLG Male Athlete of the Year. That's a pretty strange one. Mike Brown lets you know about rugby coming up Saturday. That's Saturday at 7, Canada at Scotland at Commonwealth Stadium. That'll be fun to watch. And Brian Blessing checked in as well from Vegas, who's the host of the Vegas Hockey Hotline. Could it all end for the Golden Knights tomorrow? Well, obviously it could. That's kind of a stupid way for me to put it. Could it all end tomorrow? Well, yes, Reed, it could, because they could lose the game and they'd be over. Could there be a game six on, Saturday, on Sunday? Well, yes, there could, because Vegas could win and they go back to Washington. Anyway, Kellen Kennedy on the other side of the window. You got a uh, another
0: garage sale? Another garage sale? You meant or what? Yeah. Oh uh, no, but uh, I did buy a your, booth your, to your get rid parents of some are stuff. Start putting on
1: a garage sale? No, I, I bought
0: a, I bought a booth to get rid of some stuff at a. <laughs> honest, honestly, I bought a booth to get rid of some stuff in Sherwood Park this weekend uh, at a uh, like a flea market, swap meet type thing. Kellen,
1: so. Ke- hold on a second. Seriously,
0: this is incredible. Hmm. You are, so where is this? Okay, hey, well, this is, here's your free advertising, buddy. Okay, so but it's <laughs> this is a cool deal because it helps out a. Um, this is amazing,
1: a, everybody. <laughs> Go meet Kellen Kennedy and
0: buy his junk.
1: <laughs> this is the most uh, amazing promotion we've had on this show. So and just out of the blue. So it's, it's would you like <laughs> Kellen Kennedy's junk? <laughs> Go see him in Sherwood Park. Oh, that didn't sound very good. <laughs> <That's> a, yeah. <laughs> hey, everybody! Would you like Hello. to touch Kellen Kennedy's <laughs> right. junk?
0: You'll have to pay him for it. Okay, anyway. Anyways, go ahead. So, uh, this Saturday, uh, it's a it's an automotive swap meet, so there's going to be a lot of uh, old car parts, p- paraphernalia, uh, souvenirs, you name it. It's at Millennium Place in Short Park. Uh, the gates open at 9 o'clock on Saturday, and I think they're going until about 5, 6 o'clock in the evening. It's a $5 admission to get in, but... Every dollar goes to help build a playground for the kids out in Daysland, Alberta. So you're not getting any money? Well, I'm helping them out. So And it's all I, I, I automotive my, I, stuff, you said? I, I get the money from the stuff I sell. The money from the admission, oh, the admission is going goes, to the, the us. And you're out, selling yeah. automotive yeah. parts? Yeah, there'll be automotive parts and stuff. I'm going to be selling you, a where, bunch of... Uh, where were you getting all these parts from? Oh, well, cars! <laughs> it's just,
1: I didn't realize you had mm-hmm. access to that many vehicles that you are selling off. Oh, parts. there's a lot
0: of. There'll be a lot of sellers. It's like one of those uh, automotive bizarre swap meet type things where you know different people come by with uh, tables and stuff and sell parts and and everything. So there'll be more to me there. We'll just put it that way. Well, right. But you're yeah. going to
1: be there. So yep. nine to five or six, Millennium yep. Place, Sherwood Park, Saturday only. That's right. And you can get all sorts of automotive stuff.
0: Yeah. That's amazing. Yep. That's going to be great. And you can meet you. That's right. People can meet Kellan Kennedy. And I'll be at the uh, Nitro Maniac TV booth because I'll be selling some uh, DVDs of my freelance stuff there too. So. Oh, that's, well, I think there we f- go. I don't know if we want to get into that right
1: now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, this is great. Every time I bring up garage sale, you have an interesting story, so we, we should do that. It was so fun. to get What's some theme music. <laughs> as soon as we get theme music, you're running a story, so you'll be like, I really had those yeah, two go. or three good stories, now we're done. Kellan, i I appreciate working with you. You're a gem of a human being.
0: Reed, Have fun watching uh, Game 5 tomorrow night. We'll talk again about it on Friday. How's that?
1: Dave Campbell is the producer of Inside Sports. If you missed anything or liked it so much, you want to listen again, and we had some good stuff tonight, you can go to the Inside Sports page on 630Ched.com. Kellen uploads all the audio from the shows. You can subscribe to the Inside Sports podcast on iTunes. Blue Jays and Yankees scoreless. They're in the 11th inning. Cavaliers up 42-34 on the Warriors halfway through the second quarter. My name is Reed Wilkins. Thanks for listening.
0: 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.